So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 14, and we're going to read the first 26 verses. This is God's Word. After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table. As he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they had killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. In the evening, he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, One of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my body of the new covenant. This is my blood, sorry, of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day 
when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Amen. So far the reading of God's truth and we thank him for it. I uh, remember, folks, uh, once uh, talking to a friend who owned a gym and he was trying to sign me up for membership in the gym. And I said, look, I don't have time. I I was trying to get out of it. I said, I just don't have time to commit to the gym. It wouldn't be worth me spending any money on gym membership. I don't have the time to use it. And what he said in response to me has really stuck with me ever since. He said, you do have the time. You're just using it for other things. He said, if working out was important to you, you would make time for it in your life. Now, he was trying to sell a gym membership and he was being quite convincing. That idea has made a real impact on me. I think if you want to see what's important in someone's life, you should think about what they spend time doing. What do we spend our time doing? You know as well as I do that we cannot make time. Only God can make time, but we can take time. What do we take time over? What do you spend your time on. It's interesting that we use that word, isn't it? The same as money. We spend money on the things that are important to us and we spend time on the things that are important to us. I've shared a quote before from John Piper. He says that God allowed the invention of Facebook to show us that we do have time to read our Bibles every day. I think it's helpful to think about that as we approach our passage. We see that Jesus is running out of time. He doesn't know exactly when, but he knows it's going to be soon that he will be handed over to the authorities, that he will suffer many things, and he will die on the cross. And yet, even though time is short, Jesus takes time with his disciples, and he teaches them the things that we have before us today. I think there's three things we can learn about Jesus from this passage. The first is that Jesus is the center of our faith. The second is that Jesus divides the world. And the third is that Jesus feeds his people with himself. It'd be really helpful to have Mark 14 open as we work through it together. First of all, Jesus is the center of our faith. That might seem like something that's so obvious it doesn't need said. Christ is the center of Christianity. Of course, that's true. I want you to consider the first part of our passage. Verses three to nine, the the story of Jesus being anointed with oil. A woman who we know from other gospels to be Mary, the sister of Lazarus. When she comes to Jesus and she breaks open a a very expensive bottle of sweet smelling oil and she pours it on Jesus' head. And Mark tells us that some were indignant about this. They thought that perfume could have been sold and we could have given the money to the poor. 
What a waste, they said. But Jesus rebukes them. Let her alone. She's done a good work for me. The poor you will have with you always. Whenever you wish, you can do them good. But me, you do not always have. I think that's a really key point for us as Christian people. Jesus is not saying that helping the poor is unimportant. He's not saying that we shouldn't give our money to the work of the church. He's simply pointing out that Mary's devotion is a good thing. It's a good thing because Mary has realized a deep truth. Jesus is the center of our faith. I think this applies in our day the same as it did then. There are people, you will have heard them say things about Christianity and they don't give a second thought to Jesus. Christianity, it's just, it's all about being nice to other people, isn't it? It's about being kind. It's about helping out those who are less fortunate than yourself. You see all this stuff about Jesus being the son of God? Well, you don't really have to believe that. You can take that or you can leave it. There are plenty of people out there who will try and justify all manner of things under the name of Christianity. And they don't give a second thought to the person of Christ. They don't give a second thought to the things that Jesus actually said. Mary was anointing Jesus in preparation for his death and his burial. But the disciples didn't want the perfume to be wasted. That's what they said. And that's not to mention that the very thing that poor people need, the very thing that all people need, more than food or clothes or shelter, the thing that we need above everything else in this whole wide world, we need the death of Jesus for our sins. The death of Jesus is not a waste. And so Mary's devotion to her Lord teaches us a deep truth of the Christian faith. Jesus is the centre. We've studied Mark's gospel for quite a while now. And we've seen, we've seen Jesus do amazing things, miraculous things. But all along, what, what I've been trying to show us, what we've, we've seen from Mark is that all of those things that Jesus did were meant to lend credibility to his mission. And his mission wasn't healing the sick. His mission was preaching the gospel of faith and repentance. And so it shouldn't surprise us, although it might, that in his last hours, Jesus is running out of time. And instead of, of going out into Jerusalem and healing everybody he could before his death, he spends time teaching. Isn't that surprising to us? Why is it that Jesus didn't heal all of the lame people, all of the blind people, all of the deaf people? Why did he only allow some time in that? Why did he even use any time to teach? Why did he waste time having oil poured on his head? Because it's not a waste. 
His miracles, the miracles he did here on earth, were simply a demonstration of his great power as the Son of God. The miracles show us who Jesus is. They point people to the truth so that knowing who he is, we would listen to his message, his message of faith and repentance, so that we would trust in his death for our sins to be forgiven. You see, poverty is not mankind's greatest need. Forgiveness from sins is our greatest need. And so Jesus Christ, not social action, is the centre of the Christian faith. I once went on a Habitat for Humanity trip to Guatemala. And I was very pleased to do it. I was very pleased to go and to, to build houses for people. But I also left that wondering, what's the point in making somebody comfortable for the next 50 years if they're going to enter into hell for all eternity? We have to preach the gospel as well. Jesus is the centre. It points us, doesn't it, to our, 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 our sacrament here today as well. Why do we do this? Why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? How does this help the poor? Well, in a worldly sense, it's doing very little. And there are some who would be indignant about that. There are some who would say, do you know, we can take or we can leave communion. It's, it's divisive. So long as we feed and clothe people, so long as we provide shelter for those in need. But the reason that we celebrate the Lord's Supper here today is not because of the practical worldly benefits that it holds. As I said, boys and girls, a, a small piece of bread, a tiny cup of wine, it will never fill our stomachs. But it does so much more in a spiritual sense. It shows us that Jesus is the centre of of our faith. That doesn't mean that we ignore the poor. As Jesus said, they're with us even today. We do what we can to help them. We especially help those who are among our own fellowship. But we shouldn't forget that if we don't feed the poor, somebody else will. If we don't clothe the naked, somebody else will. If we don't support the oppressed, somebody else will. But only a devoted follower of Jesus, like Mary, would pour oil on Christ's head. Only devoted followers of Christ would share in this supper in order to bring glory and honour to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Because he is the centre of our faith. That kind of leads us to our second point today. Like I said, Jesus divides He's divisive. The world is divided. There are those who are devoted to Jesus and who know he's the center. And there are those who, for many, many reasons, whether they know it or not, are opposed to Jesus. And this is really clearly demonstrated in our passage, isn't it? We have this story about Mary, and then immediately after, we read about Judas. And Judas goes out to betray him. Mary was happy to use all of the money that the perfume cost to anoint Jesus. But Judas, 
He was after money for himself, even if that meant betraying Jesus. He conspires with the chief priests and scribes and has Jesus put to death. You see how Jesus divides? This division, this opposition to Jesus has been building throughout the book. There are those in this world who submit to Jesus, who see Jesus as the center of our lives, and then there's everyone else. Can I say very sadly, for some even here today, the fact that it's a disciple, one of the 12, who betrays Jesus, means that there's even those in the church who would oppose Jesus. The world is divided. There are two categories. There are Marys and there are Judases. And I have to ask you today, which one are you? Is Jesus your centre? Would you be willing to waste expensive perfume on Jesus? Or would you leave him tomorrow if it meant you could make a quick buck? This is a big question and it's the big question for any of us in our lives. Who is Jesus to you? He divides the world in two. There are those who trust in him by faith who receive forgiveness, who receive his perfect righteousness, who receive everlasting life. And then there are those who reject him and reject everything that he offers. If you accept all that he has done today for you by faith, then you can eat this meal. You can receive it by faith and and receive all the benefits of Christ. But if you reject him, then you do so willfully and you eat damnation onto yourself. It's not good enough simply to view Jesus as a good man from history. It's not okay to think of him as a person who basically told us to be nice to one another. You can't have that option. If you reject Jesus, then reject him on the basis of what he says. Based on the evidence of what he did. This is a man who proved himself to be the son of God through his actions. Judas was there. Judas saw it. He saw it with his own eyes. You've read about those things in the New Testament. We've heard about them from Mark's gospel. And so if you choose to reject Jesus then you're doing the very thing Judas did. You're betraying the one true and living God. I want you to know today that as we come to the Lord's Supper, it's a meal that divides us. This meal makes a distinction. Those who eat by faith, those who are publicly proclaiming that Jesus is their Lord, that his body has been broken, his blood has been shed for them. We declare that Jesus is the one who has saved us and is continually sanctifying us. We, we feed upon Christ's body and blood and are nurtured spiritually. We grow in grace. But those who don't eat by faith, those who eat and drink in an unworthy manner, not believing in Christ's death as important or sufficient, well, they eat and drink damnation unto themselves. And those who do not eat because you've not yet trusted in Jesus, 
Well, you too are making yourself distinct. You're saying by your actions that you don't trust in Jesus. There's maybe even people who have stayed away from our service today on that basis. They don't think that his death and resurrection are important. Perhaps you call yourself a believer, but you've never come to membership in Christ's church. I want to ask you, why not? Why have you never come to membership? Speak to me about that after the service. If you aren't a member in Christ's church and, and you won't partake in the supper, then you're bringing judgment upon yourself. That's not easy for me to say, but that's the case. I would encourage you to submit to Jesus. Again, you need to speak to me about this. It can't wait another day. Send me a text message this afternoon. You must come to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Otherwise, you condemn yourself to a lost eternity. We can't linger on this point. We have to move on to talk about our last point. What exactly is going on in the Lord's Supper? In this meal, Jesus feeds his people with himself. That needs teased out a little bit, doesn't it? What exactly is going on in the Lord's Supper? You will know that there are some who see this as simply a remembrance, simply a memorial, an opportunity to think on what Christ has done for us, just like we do in November each year. There are others, as I'm sure you know, that believe that the bread and the wine are somehow changed in in their very substance, to become the literal body and literal blood of Christ. It's referred to as transubstantiation. You've heard of that. But the Reformed Church has never held to either of those errors. We do not believe that this is merely a memorial. Yes, we remember, but it's more than that. And so we say things like we feast on Christ. But we don't believe either that the bread and wine transform, become the literal body and blood of Jesus. Rather, we hold to the main, the plain meaning of the words in the passage. Verses 22 to 24, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them and said, take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. The bread remains bread. The wine remains wine. And yet in this covenant communion meal, we take the words of Jesus serious. He says, this is my body. This is my blood. We don't add the words represents. We don't add the words symbolizes. Now, what we believe is that as we partake in this meal by faith, then Christ feeds us and sustains us with himself. This is what the the Shorter Catechism says. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine according to Christ's appointment, his death is showed forth. And the worthy receivers are not after a corporal and carnal manner, 
but by faith made partakers of his body and blood with all of his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Not in a corporal or carnal manner. That means not in a physical manner. But in a spiritual manner, we are fed by Jesus. We receive all the benefits of salvation. Why say all this? Well, it's important that you know what you're doing when you take communion. That's really important. But it's also key for us to know that this is a vital meal for a Christian person. If it were a mere memorial, then we wouldn't have to be here. We could be somewhere else. We could go and sit on the side of a hill and remember Jesus. We could think about it. But this is not a mere memorial. We believe that as we partake in the supper, something actually happens. Something actually happens spiritually. We are nourished by the risen Lord Jesus. All of his promises to us in the gospel are confirmed. As I was saying to the boys and girls, another reformed catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, is really helpful too. It uses the words, as surely. Let me read from it. As surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out. As surely as I receive and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to everlasting life. It's like this. The physical reality of seeing and feeling and tasting and smelling is matched by what's going on spiritually, being nourished by Jesus. It's not too much to say that the Lord's Supper is the gospel in a meal. In this meal, Jesus feeds his people with himself. This is an important meal. It's an important teaching. It was so important that Jesus took some of the last hours before his death to explain it, to share it with his disciples. Before we come to celebrate the supper together, let's pray.